Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. This time, we're talking small fries and compliance. But first, I want to mention that we have an, another upcoming webinar with our partners over at Clear Law Institute. It's uh, a redux, if you will, of a webinar we've done in the past called Updating Your Code of Conduct Best Practices. We did this about two months ago, and we are going to be updating it and doing it again. A uh, lot of organizations working on their code of conduct, and in fact, uh, I'll talk a little bit about code of conduct when we're talking about small organizations here in a minute. <clears throat> and uh, if you are working for an organization that is interested in updating your code of conduct, or you know for sure that your organization is going to be updating your code of conduct, uh, I highly recommend that you attend this webinar on April the 4th, 2019 uh, at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, it's going to be approved for CLE credits and CCEP credits. For those of you who need to get a few more credits for your license and or your certification. Um, and uh, I will have information on how you can register for that webinar in the show notes here. Uh, it's also easy just to go to clearlawinstitute.com, clearlawinstitute, one word, dot com. Uh, search my name, Eric Moorhead, or search uh, updating your code of conduct, and you will find the registration page as well. Um, we're going to be doing a series of uh, webinars on some other topics. We've been doing uh, the Code of Conduct webinar with Clear Law for a while, but we're getting ready to release some dates here in the spring and summer where we're going to be doing um, other um, other topics, including uh, program assessment and a few other things. So uh, listen here in the upcoming weeks, and I'll give you more updates. I know we have been a little remiss in um, putting up the podcast uh, the a few few of the weeks here during the spring. We've been busy, 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 uh, but we will try to keep up the weekly cadence from here on out, and we are doing our best to bring these webinars um, to you as well for those of you who are interested in these topics and want a little deeper dive and want to be able to ask questions other than uh, offline. Uh, so please join us for that webinar, and please keep your ears peeled uh, for future announcements here as we uh, set up more of these webinars with our friends at Clear Law. I've talked about uh, small business enterprises, uh, uh, startups, um, and compliance in the past, but this is a topic that's come up uh, about half a dozen times uh, in conversation um, with clients, potential clients, and with others over the last few weeks, and I think it bears uh, some further discussion. I don't know. Uh, I, I have some real basic demographic information about uh, people who download this podcast. I sort of know what area, what what uh, part of the world uh, you're at least downloading the podcast if that's not where you normally reside. Uh, and I know how many of you <laughs> download it. But beyond that, uh, we don't uh, really get a whole lot of data on the makeup of you know who might be in the audience. I have a general sense that a lot of you are in organizations where you're the only resource or uh, one of few uh, resources that there might be. And uh, more often than not, those organizations may be organizations that we would characterize as small or medium-sized businesses. 
And there is this kind of general misnomer that's been out there forever that if you are um, a smaller uh, organization, you can f- kind of fly under the radar. Um, uh, we've seen uh, lots of spectacular compliance failures in the news over the years and continue to see that. And primarily they're large organizations because that's what makes the news. So our perception is skewed. But as with a lot of commonly held perception, that's just not the case. It's not, it's not just the big uh, Enrons of the world. And I'm dating myself a little bit by going back and pulling out Enron, but, you know, uh, Wells Fargo or any of the, the VW or any of the things that we see. Um, Theranos is something that's come up recently that, uh, uh, you know, is quite extraordinary. Those are all still rather large. Uh, those are all organizations that had uh, institutional compliance in place. Um, but that's not where a lot of the risk lies. And it, it obscures the fact that there are serious repercussions for organizations that are small. And those repercussions include the most, to my mind, the most serious repercussions, which are uh, criminal conduct, which will literally put the organization out of business, uh, particularly uh, if your organization uh, does any kind of business with any federal or state governments. Um, you know, uh, just looking at the sentencing guidelines uh, or sentencing commission statistics, which keep track of the organizations that have actually taken commit convictions. So organizations that have had the worst thing happen to them, they've had a criminal case brought against them in federal court, and they've either pled guilty or been found guilty, uh, and they're being sentenced by a judge. Um, Year in, year out, uh, if you go back five, ten years, uh, between 86, 87, 88 percent, and 90, 91 percent, so around 90 percent of organizations that end up with a federal conviction have less than 500 employees. And consistently, uh, three quarters of all organizations, 70% of organizations that get sentenced in federal court have less than 50 employees. So they're very small. Uh, And you can go to the uh, Sentencing Commission's website, ussc.gov, and find uh, uh, the the sentencing data around organizations, which is illuminating. It talks about uh, fines that are imposed, restitution numbers that are imposed, whether uh, compliance has been ordered as a component of the organizational probation, all of these interesting facts uh, at ussc.gov. Look for the source book, the U.S. Sentencing Commission's interactive source book. And uh, that uh, will um, that's always interesting information and it's illuminating I think to a lot of smaller organizations that don't realize that they're really in the crosshairs for the most serious repercussions that are out there and I think the reason that this happens one of the reasons that this happens is smaller organizations are obviously obviously uh, less able to absorb the costs and, uh, and, and the ramifications, the reputational ramifications, the lost business opportunity ramifications that come with not only getting charged with a crime, but the investigation around a crime or any regulatory uh, impact that there might be that's a collateral to that uh, criminal investigation. Uh, even if the organization ends up not being charged, uh, it still can be a death sentence for a small organization. Um, and the other thing that is often missed out on this, and I've talked about this before, and, I, and I'll talk about it again because I don't think it really uh, is a message that's gotten through to everybody, 
is again the most serious consequences happen for smaller organizations and the most serious consequences for individuals follow in six out of ten sixty percent of cases where an organization ends up being either found guilty or pleads guilty to a criminal offense in federal court in six out of ten of those cases there's at least one person that is being sentenced as well and unlike the organization which will take a fine perhaps have to create a new compliance program perhaps have to pay some restitution um, and and reorganize itself if it doesn't end up getting you know dying because of this uh, this event uh, unlike an organization the individuals those six out of every 10 cases those people those human beings will go to federal prison more often than not. Uh, some of them, depending on the on the offense, may end up uh, having supervised release and not end up in federal prison. But the federal sentencing guidelines are rather strict around uh, uh, what we roughly characterize as white-collar crime. I know it's still a popular perception that white-collar criminals don't uh, really uh, end up going to prison, but um, they do. And the sentencing guidelines can be rather strict uh, when you're talking about financial crimes. Very often, the, uh, the, the severity of the federal criminal sentence, the, the prison sentence that an individual gets, uh, is, is impacted very, in a, in a fraud case, is impacted significantly by the amount of, the dollar amount that's involved in the uh, alleged offense. And that's not how much that individual may have personally gained. That's just whatever was in whatever amount was in question in the scheme or fraud or or violation that was uh, uh, the subject of the criminal case. So that can be a lot. That can be millions easily, and that can mean uh, many many months uh, and years in federal prison. The uh, other thing that I think uh, reason why we see small organizations here, and and this comes to my mind quite a bit. Uh, because I'm sitting in, in near Austin, Texas, which, uh, like Silicon Valley, like uh, New York and, and, and other uh, places, has a lot of startup organizations, smaller companies, uh, companies that are focused on growth, focused on uh, uh, their new opportunities, their new ideas, their mission, and not necessarily focused on uh, controls and not necessarily focused on compliance specifically. Um, companies that have not yet gone public, um, maybe not, maybe don't have as much scrutiny, maybe do not have as active a uh, board of directors, maybe only have uh, one or two actual uh, directors, just aren't mature yet. They aren't mature in a lot of ways, and, and compliance is one of those ways. Um, newer companies uh, that do have the, the, the desire to have an IPO at one point and go public, need to consider uh, whether just having the basic requirements, including, um, for instance, when you list on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ Exchange, you have to have a written code of conduct. But very often, when you look at those written codes of conduct that exist for newly minted IPOs, they're very boilerplate. They're, they're, they're knockoffs. There's not a lot of consideration that went into that. And uh, for those organizations, for those people who are working with or work for a smaller organization that's growing, 
uh, I think it's worth taking some time uh, and, and reading about uh, uh, situations where companies uh, go off the rails because uh, they had uh, no uh, internal controls. They had um, they they grew, but they grew in a way that uh, was not managed, not only uh, from a um, strategic standpoint, but from a compliance standpoint. Perfect example uh, happened a couple years ago. It's the Zenefits case. And when you read about the culture at organizations that have had failures, uh, particularly newer companies, and you look into it a little bit, what you often find out is that it seems like it's going to be really, really hard to turn that ship around. And it's going to be very resource intensive. And sometimes the personalities involved, particularly in a small organization, uh, that have to be removed from the from the uh, scenario. Uber is another recent case that comes to mind. Uh, the, you know, extracting the executives and people involved in the culture problem uh, is uh, very difficult. And coming back from that and reforming and, and, and making an organization that's successful and that has a positive culture is very hard. Uh, and you have to ask the question, how much easier could it have been, would it have been, if a small organization, a, a, a pre-IPO organization or just post-IPO organization had focused just a small amount of the effort uh, that is usually focused on growth and uh, the big mission, the big the big app uh, would have been put towards um, compliance, put towards uh, improving the culture. Um, you know, many of us have been in dysfunctional organizations with complicated cultures. Uh, many of us have seen uh, people who are otherwise good people, people who are are, are focused on the mission and and have a good moral sense or ethical sense, uh, uh, but, you know, they are, are confronted by a culture that is not, uh, that doesn't value ethics, that doesn't value uh, transparency, uh, where the focus is not on compliance, the focus is only on, on results, uh, business results, not, not results, positive results. Um, and uh, uh, people of goodwill <laughs> often will leave We'll flee from that. Um, we talked about this before, how uh, retention is a real issue. And think about it from the perspective of a small business. Um, you want to keep those people, those people that will be the bedrock of your culture, of your organization moving forward. And you don't want to chase them off because you don't have any controls in place because there's a poisonous culture that you're not dealing with or aspect of the culture you're not dealing with. Um you know that's a sad thing uh, that that organizations sometimes will face uh, the consequences. Now, oftentimes uh, you have the flip side. You have the high performer, the the person who is the key man or woman in the organization uh, that drives uh, the uh, uh, the growth of the organization, but is also a problem, and that's an equally perplexing issue. Uh, you know, and it's a one that. Very often, companies get wrong, and I'm, I'm going to say it. It's wrong uh, to keep somebody on who uh, is successful just, be, just because of the success, even though the repercussions of keeping them on uh, alienate uh, other members of the organization or worse. 
Um, you know, and I've been a party to that uh, in, in my professional life, uh, working with somebody who was a high performer, uh, but who was impossible to deal with and was abusive uh, to, to not just myself, but to many other people. They finally were let go, but long after they should have been let go. Uh, and and I, you have to think that in that case, and as in many cases, that's down to the fact that uh, nobody wants to act when somebody is a strong performer. Uh, in new and small organizations, uh, that's even more critical because that might, you know, to you know, to those that are making the forecast, seem like that's the that's the 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 deal killer right there is to get rid of that person. But but you have to make that call. Um. The one thing that I would say that a small organization has going for it when you're talking about making a big change, though, is that there's not a long history uh, there. You know, if you are an aspirational organization, uh, it's easier to adapt uh, the aspiration of being ethical and really focusing on culture and compliance. Um, so one of the benefits of being small and perhaps a little bit more agile than a large organization, is you can make a change, a positive change, I think, a lot easier uh, than an organization that, you know, where it's a lot harder to do. And also, if you're a smaller organization, you have a much smaller audience that you need to reach with these important messages. Uh, so resource-wise, it's a little bit easier. So the, that's the upside of being uh, a smaller organization. And the other thing that's important to keep in mind, uh, you know, I started off this conversation talking about um, uh, prosecution, talking about what happens when the worst happens. Uh, regulators and uh, the Department of Justice, um, they understand that smaller organizations aren't going to have the same exact program uh, that a larger organization has, and, and they allow you to adapt to that size. So that's also something to keep in mind. But you just have to be realistic and reasonable about what you have in place. Uh, the sentencing guidelines speak to it specifically and make it clear that uh, uh, organizations aren't expected to have everything that a large, smaller organizations aren't expected to have everything that a larger organization has. But the bottom line is all organizations, and this is the point, regardless of size, are expected to have, have taken a risk-based approach to the, to the compliance risks they feel, they, they feel that they face and have an appropriate compliance program uh, that responds to those risks in a reasonable way. So uh, if you're small, and I think, uh, I don't know, but I think that many of you who listen to this podcast are small, uh, don't think that uh, you're going to avoid the crosshairs. Um, that is a fool's errand, and I en encourage you, uh, and, and for those of, your, those of your stakeholders who don't necessarily buy into this, I encourage you on, to, uh, on their behalf uh, to do a little bit more re research. Uh, uh, again, the, at the Sentencing Commission's website is a good place to start. There's a lot of information there about the organizations that actually get charged with crime, and they're not the big ones. They're not. They're you. So keep that in mind. Uh, compliance really does matter when you're a small organization. So until next time, uh, if you've got any questions, comments, suggestions for future podcasts, please do get in touch with us. You can reach us from compliancebeat.com, moreheadconsulting.com. You can email me directly at eric at moreheadconsulting.com. I love to hear from listeners. Uh, I love to field your questions um, and, and uh, uh, correspond if you've got any questions. 
so please do feel free to reach out and please do uh, check out our April uh, the 4th uh, webinar that's coming up with Clearwater Institute. As I said, we're going to be announcing a new slate of webinars here uh, not too long in the future. Uh, and I'll try not to uh, uh, be as infrequent here as we move uh, closer into summer. Uh, it's just been a real busy spring, but I'm happy to be back uh, on this Friday night, and uh, we'll be back at you next week as well. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.